This episode is brought to you by Odyssey Mushroom Elixir, and Odyssey has an exciting new offer for Courageous Wellness listeners. Listeners can now receive one free can of Odyssey by visiting IWantOdyssey.com to get the next steps on how to redeem your free can. Unlike traditional energy drinks that are loaded with sugar and artificial ingredients, Odyssey is packed with natural ingredients, including functional mushrooms like lion's mane and cordyceps. These mushrooms have been used for centuries to improve mental clarity, increase focus, and boost energy levels. Not only do these mushrooms provide natural energy, but they also have a host of other health benefits. We have done multiple episodes on the power of functional mushrooms and love that they can help support your immune system, reduce inflammation, and even improve your mood. And it tastes really good. As someone who is not drinking alcohol, I also find this to be a fun and functional alternative to bring to parties, have as a post-work drink, and is a great afternoon pick-me-up in a lot of different flavors. So to redeem your free can, visit IWantOdyssey.com and receive a free can of Odyssey mushroom elixir. All information is available in our show notes and in our link tree on Instagram. Welcome to Courageous Wellness. My name is Erica Stein. And I'm Allie French. And this is a podcast about individual journeys within wellness and how to navigate it all. After Allie experienced a cancer diagnosis in her 20s, and Erica went through a self-love journey, we created a platform to interview real people from all walks of life that have combined all types of practices. From physical wellness to emotional and spiritual, we hear courageous stories and focus on why it's important to share them. We are both certified integrative nutrition health coaches and together with our community are learning to live our most purposeful lives by sharing one courageous story at a time. It takes courage to share these journeys and by talking about them, we aim to destigmatize the process. We want you to be your own health advocate, feel educated and informed on the latest in health and wellness and empower you to feel your absolute best. And because we want to bring forth a wide variety of stories, the opinions of our guests do not necessarily reflect our own, but we hope the diverse and varied stories will empower you to make the best choices for your own life. So join us as we and our community share our courageous wellness. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to this episode of Courageous Wellness. We have New York Times bestselling author Nick Stone joining us today to talk about her new novel, Chaos Theory. And it's a really great conversation. But before we get into that, we are going to share our weekly updates and I can kick us off this week. It's actually something I've been doing for my mental health and my brain health, which is a conversation that we are going to explore in this episode. But I had recently been learning about the benefits of cold plunging. Mm. And I don't have a cold plunge, but I do have a shower and a bathtub. And so I was like, I want to experience, experience, experiment with a version of cold plunging. But, Mm -hmm. you know, cold therapy has a lot of benefits, you know, with, um, it can really help with, uh, 
decreasing inflammation. You get a huge rush of endorphins. It can spike dopamine, improve sleep and mood, reduce stress. It can boost our immune system um, by, right, it kills off your bad mitochondria or your like dying mitochondria. I don't know, Ali. I yeah, think, I think you're there's like a regenerative quality to it as far as like your mitochondrial health. It's very mitochondrial health. Yeah. yeah. And, and it does have like that rush of endorphins, the spike in dopamine. I know cold therapy is used a lot for, um, individuals who suffer from panic attacks as well. Like, yeah. right. It can, it can help in a lot of ways. And I'm separately interested in learning more about like DBT therapy. So it's all connected anyway. I have been trying to, I haven't done it in my bath yet, but I will get in the shower and I will turn it on to ice, ice, icy cold. And I'm trying to stand in it for, I started at 60 seconds. I'm up to 90 seconds. Wow. 60 seconds is a long time to start with. That's good for you. Yeah. I, I should do more research on how long they suggest yeah. you stay into it, but I think it might be up to three minutes. Two Don't minutes. quote me on that. Yeah. No, like, I think you're right. But I, I'm just saying like to start off, like good, that's brave. <laughs> start off. Yeah. So I've, I started at 60, I'm up to 90 and I, it's, you know, it feels like when you're in it, like I can't breathe. Like I have to catch my breath and it just, it really does. There's a lot going on with like family stuff right now and health stuff. And it just really does shock you out of it. At least for me, it's really shocking me out of it. And I feel so much better afterwards. So I haven't been doing it every day, but I am trying to do it most days and I'm noticing a big difference. So if you are interested in cold plunging, try a cold shower. Of course, I'm not a doctor. Talk to your doctor, get, you know, medical advice if necessary, but it's something that I'm doing and it's, it's, it's making a difference and I, I'm, I'm loving it. So that's my that's update cool. for this week. What about you? Yeah. And I just want to say if anybody's interested, I feel like he's like a leading person in the, in the cold plunge world, but check out the work of Wim Hof. If yeah. you, if you haven't, um, does a lot with cold plunging and, and breath breathing techniques through it as well. Um, for me. So I think I shared in last week's episode that I had gone to London. Awesome trip. Um, but I've had sort of back to back travel between work and fun travel. And I went to a wedding all back to back over the course of a month. And I am so tired. And I, I have to say, it's like, you think you learn, but I, sometimes I have to experience things to remind myself of, of this is that like sleep routine mm. and eating home cooked food. Those two things are so like actually the two most vital things in my health and wellness routine. Yeah. And when that suffers, which it has, it's everything else suffers for also. Yeah. Um, and so as you can tell, I'm probably a little bit hoarse. I'm just, um, feeling the repercussions of that and the intense jet lag, frankly. So, and I find that even when I'm really jet lagged or tired that, um, I go, I want like from a food perspective, I, want quicker, easier energy, which means going to something like I'm not a sugar person. I don't, I really, as everybody knows, I like so focus on blood sugar balance and stuff, but I found myself like 
just quickly going for a cookie earlier. And I realized it was because I was tired and I wanted Mm. immediate energy. So like quick sugar to the bloodstream. But we know that that's not like spiking the glucose quickly doesn't actually give you long-term sustained energy. Yeah. Um, so, So, but it's interesting because it's helping me observe myself and what happens when I'm not getting adequate sleep. Yeah. Yeah. And so interesting. It's so it's, I mean, it's a good thing because it gives me the opportunity to observe it, but it also is like, Hey, you need to remember that like, if you're going to travel, you need to build in time to kind of recover from that. Yeah, you know? absolutely. And you're, we talk a little bit about astrology at the end of the episode, but you are a generator in human design. And so it is part of your human design to go, 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 but it's living in your not self, right? If you go, go, go like out of integrity for lack of a better word, right? right? It's about, it's about doing the go, go, go in the areas that like light you up, not just because you can or should. Correct. (laughs) (laughs) No, I'm learning the lesson at the moment, but that's good. That's what sometimes we need. Like you were telling me about something else we were talking about. You're like, sometimes you need those little reminders, right? It's, it's like, what did we learn from the action or the behavior or whatever? And that's, that's always good. And I was going to say, you should go grab a can of Odyssey elixir for some functional mushroom good energy. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Frankly, I relied on that to kind of get me through some uh, recording today. So, And for anybody who isn't familiar, Odyssey Mushroom Elixir is a new sponsor of the podcast and they're offering all of our listeners a free can of Odyssey Elixir. So if you go to IWantOdyssey.com, you can redeem your free can and that's all in our show notes. And this episode is also sponsored by Milk and Honey, who we love, and they have an incredible online boutique that carries the hyperclean milk and honey products, and they also carry brands like Osea Malibu, Supergoop, Moon Juice, so many great brands, and you can save 20% by visiting the Milk and Honey website and using code CW podcast. And you can also save 20% on any spa service at any of their spa locations, Texas, Chicago, LA. Look it all up. It's all in our show notes and in our link tree on Instagram. Yes. yes. And with that, we have a wonderful conversation today. Um, so Erica, do you want to kick it off? Yes, let's do it. So today we have a great conversation with author Nick Stone, who wants teens to know that they are never alone when it comes to their mental health. The number one time, the number one New York Times bestselling author of Dear Martin and other works for tweens and teens tackles the difficult topic of brain health in her new novel, Chaos Theory, a gripping story about first love, mental health, family, and loving who you are all amidst the chaos of life. Inspired by her own mental health journey, Stone is setting out to challenge the negative connotations that can sometimes surround mental health issues and to let readers of all ages know that there is nothing to be ashamed of or to hide. We have a really great, fun, uh, inspirational conversation on the power of vulnerability and also normalizing conversations around mental health. Nick is a wonderful writer, and Chaos Theory is a great read for teens or the inner 18-year-old that lives in all of us. Erica and I really enjoyed it. So please enjoy the conversation. We are so excited to offer our listeners a new discount to one of the best probiotic supplements on the market. 
succeed. If you are a regular listener of the podcast, then you know that Allie and I are both very serious when it comes to the importance of gut health and building a thriving microbiome. I personally have been using seed for close to a year now and have noticed a big difference in my digestion and bloating. I am devoted to taking seed every single morning before food, and I'm really excited to share their daily symbiotic with our audience. The formulation of the daily symbiotic combines a probiotic and prebiotic is vegan and gluten-free and includes 24 clinically studied naturally occurring strains, not found in yogurt or fermented foods and beverages, and lives up to the highest standards for human and planetary health. Yes. And in addition to being a really reliable probiotic and prebiotic supplement, Seed is committed to creating science-based education for all those that partner with them through accountable advertising at Seed University. This is where we are all committed to not spreading misinformation about health on the internet. Pretty important, right? Also, I personally love their commitment to sustainability with a refill system and all recyclable or biodegradable packaging materials. Erica and I only advertise products that we use and feel are of benefit to us and by extension could be of value to our community as well. If you would like to order Seed Daily Symbiotics to incorporate into your own gut health routine, go to seed.com and use the code COURAGEOUS15 at checkout for 15% off or click on the link in our show notes. Welcome, Nick. Thank you so much for joining the show today. We are very excited to have this conversation with you. And to begin, we love to start with our guest's personal journey in wellness and how it led to the work they do today. So can you share your journey with us? That is such a good question, Erica. <laughs> right? Like we're <laughs> jumping on out here. We don't, we I don't mean, start like, small. <laughs> clearly not. And how can you start small when talking about wellness? Um, so I've been incredibly blessed to have a father who kind of got me on a wellness kick when I was a kid. My dad is um, a recovering alcoholic. He's been sober for almost 30 years. He stopped drinking in 1994 and he loves when I tell his story. (laughs) So I'll put that out there, like disclaimer, my dad knows I talk about him um, all the time. But when I was nine, he would take me with him to his AA meetings. So like I had this opportunity to see an adult that I not only like respected, but just absolutely adored going through some things and like being a person. Um, he also got me started journaling at a very young age. So wellness for me has always been about trying to live as like mentally and physically stable as possible. So like I've, I've kept the journal for a really long time. I've always been into moving my body um, eating well, like, and I, I, like I said, I credit my dad for all of these things. Um, because he's, he's even the person who normalized the idea of therapy, right? So like all of these things that I lean really hard into now as an adult, I'm thankful to have had as a part of my life for a really long time. Um, I'm curious, is that, so Obviously, you're a New York Times bestselling author, and uh, you do 
some work and we're going to get into chaos theory, your, your newest book, um, but for a YA audience. And I'm curious, as I started reading the book, what makes you like to, to kind of speak to this sort of age frame? Um, and do you feel like there's a particular sort of impact in being able to kind of bring up certain topics, especially to a certain, a younger audience in this way? Um, and do you think that that being exposed to that through your dad or being, having that sort of modeling in your childhood and adolescence, um, do you think there's a connection in that? Probably. I mean, so, so the, there's, there's three reasons that I lean towards writing for young adults. Uh, the first is that that's what comes most naturally, as strange as that probably sounds like. I think I'm going to be 19 forever in my head. Like, I'll be 30 great in uh, in July, so I'll be 19 for the second time. Um, and we're just going to keep rolling with that. And I think that when, when I sat down, when I decided I wanted to become a writer, when I decided I wanted to write stories, when I sat down, what came out was a 16-year-old. Mm -hmm. And I think... It's just kind of what comes most naturally. Number two, I write the things that I wish I'd had when I was a teenager um, because I didn't have them. And I think they would have been incredibly helpful to me if I had had them. Yeah. And then the third piece here is that like, it's such a formative time. I've had, I have been mentoring teenagers since I was one like I remember being 19 and I had a group of six high school seniors that I was mentoring like like I'm so far ahead um so much further ahead on the journey than they were right but there was something really powerful about having these these beings these entities whose thoughts about the world were still forming and who really wanted to do things differently than they'd seen them done. And so there was kind of like this co-learning opportunity where on the one hand, I'm growing and learning and kind of sharing the extra two years of consciousness that I'd experienced. But I was also learning from them. I was also learning like what it meant to be compassionate, what it meant to be a good listener. What does it mean to value the opinion of a person whose opinion is still forming like all of these all of these things were really integral to who I was and who I was like becoming as a young adult and so when I take all of that together like YA in middle grade I don't know there's just something about that time frame of life that I think is so vital to the formation of of how we present ourselves to the world once we do reach adulthood. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I I love young adult content very much, yeah. even though I am still, I'm in my 30s now, but I love it. And I think the connection to that time too, I feel like it's so, it's so impactful, right? It's such an impactful time. And I think when I connect in my later years, you know, as, as a 30 something with, it, it almost unlocks a part of your teenage self with a more mature mind, you know? So it's like, you're, you're like, oh, wow. Like, but these feelings and these experiences that we had stay with us and you write, you know, so beautifully and you do write about um, some pretty 
heavier topics, um, maybe not heavier topics, but I think so many times we discount children or teens, um, and their ability to handle these hard conversations, even though I feel like all teenagers are going through really hard things and we need to talk about it, but especially, you know, um, you do talk a lot about mental health and I know chaos theory really take tackles a lot of mental health topics. And we'd love to have a discussion with you about that. And maybe, um, maybe to kick it off, I love in the intro of chaos theory, right? You talk about how you loathe the term mental illness, right? And maybe we can start there. Can you talk a little bit about why you loathe that term and, and, and let's just start there. And then we'll, I have so many questions. I'm like, let's start there and keep on going. (laughs) Sure. Sure. I mean, I think I just language language is Mm -hmm. language is fascinating y'all. Like I love the study of language. I love the study of, I mean, basically we're utilizing different sounds that we make with our mouths to communicate the same way that all of the other animals do. It's just that because we have this hubris, we think we're doing something like bigger or more important, right? And so for that reason, I do think that sometimes certain words or phrases wind up taking on connotations that unfortunately can be a bit detrimental to the concept itself. What I mean by that. So I went to lunch today with a really good friend of mine. Um, She just got out of rehab. Uh, She was in like a 90 day rehab program for alcoholism. And we were talking about how a lot of her issues and a lot of her kind of uh, what, what led part of what led to her using alcohol as a coping mechanism was religion. And so we started talking about the word God. And even you just say the word God, and there's this flood of things that come to mind because that's how we utilize language as human beings. Like we have these terms that we attach to specific concepts and then that concept kind of takes on a life of its own. So with mental illness, it's so negatively compensated, right? Like I think about the number of people who hear mentally ill or hear mental illness and immediately are going to associate it with like mass shooters or, you know, Timothy McVeigh, right? Like people who do these awful things and who therefore are often deemed less worthy of compassion, less worthy of empathy. Like there's so many ways that our brains can put us in a bind socially, right? And it's not even that like, there's something wrong. For instance, there's nothing wrong with being depressed. It's literally a brain condition. Like it's a a neurological condition. It's a form of neurodivergence. But because of the way that that word has been framed over the course of years and years and years and years, people hear that word and they're kind of hush hush about it. So when I think of the term mental illness um, or mentally ill, it just irks me a little bit, right? Because there's so much negativity already attached to it. So like, I'll just make up words. Like one of my favorites is I call it a neurotransmittal atypicality. Like we can make up big science terms, why not? But that's what mental illness actually is. Your neurotransmitters function in a certain way, 
which affects the way that you see things. It affects the way that you move. It affects how your body feels. It affects how tired you are. And all of this is just brain chemistry stuff, right? Like the same way that a heart can be malfunctioning or like liver, a liver. I have a friend with a, with a couple of liver tumors. My dad has emphysema, like his lungs don't work as well as they used to at one point. And it just, it impedes his breathing. So the same way that like emphysema can impact somebody's lungs and make it difficult for them to breathe, depression can impact your, your, your synapses and your, your, uh, your neurons and make it difficult for you to get out of bed. And so I just want us to do a better job of treating psychiatric disorders, as we call them, as just like regular things that lots of people deal with. And we have to stop weaponizing because I find that the term mental illness and mentally ill, they get weaponized very, very frequently. Yeah, you make a really good point. And I actually heard a doctor speak about this kind of exact thing. He's um, a psychiatrist, I believe, but he does brain scans. And that's Mm -hmm. how he really he likes to talk about it as brain health, because we don't talk about any other things in the body, like without talking about what's going on biologically, like with the organ or whatever, like wherever the focus of, you know, whatever the issue might be at that moment, we don't, we don't like not look at what's going on in the certain organ that might be dealing with it. So it's like, if we're talking about mental health, why aren't we observing the brain and talking about really brain health in that moment? And so it's really reframed a lot of the way, I don't know, even, even I think we have started to talk about it a little bit behind the scenes and in front of the scenes on the podcast too, because There's not something, I think, first of all, it's very, very common, just as physical physical ailments and physical illness as a part of being a human being over the course of between birth and death, people are going to experience that. It also, it's not, it's not, um, mental health is not something outside of our physiology either. And so to to put it back to there so it's not just like oh this person we can't dismiss it in the same way that i think oftentimes mental oh they're just you know dealing oh, with this mentally ill. mentally ill yeah oh they're just you know whatever and it's like no and some of the most wonderful high functioning human beings that i know also struggle with brain health stuff sometimes hey right, right? here So it's like, and it's so common. So if we can, and I think your book and it's, it has sort of a purpose of destigmatizing stuff Mm -hmm. around this. And, um, one thing I wanted to ask you and sort of your thoughts on, especially when it comes to diagnosis. And I mean that generally and within the context of maybe adolescence dealing with that, um, do you find that, I guess, what is your opinion on, oftentimes I, I worry that like when we label things all the time, now listen, you're dealing with an actual diagnosis, that's that's no big deal and destigmatizing that I think is probably like the first step. And I I sometimes wonder like if kids are also getting diagnoses all the time, do they attach that to like the way they feel about themselves because of stigma around it? Um, 
And what is your sort of thought on that and maybe thoughts on how we can help adolescents not ultimately like feel worse about themselves if they are dealing with brain health in some way? Mm-hmm. I mean, look, if you destigmatize mental illness, this question is irrelevant. Not to say that right. the question is irrelevant, period, but like it's a really good question. But when you decide, okay, living with bipolar depression doesn't mean you're crazy. Right. I have bipolar depression. No big deal. Right. Yeah. I think so. So part of the issue here is that, and I think, and this is, I won't say that it is, I will speak only to my experience as an American, right? Like something that I find, and, and, and as an American who has lived abroad, we are hyper insistent on this, this notion, this false notion of certainty. Like we want to be certain about things. We want to, to speak as though we know what we're talking about, but like we don't, is, is at the end of the day, all of the information we have is information that we have generated right? Like I even think about math and science. Math and science are human created disciplines. Like we created the terms, we created the experimentation. So even when we say like gravity is the reason that we don't float off of the earth. Well, what is gravity? Where did we get the idea for gravity? It's something that's, it's a concept that somebody put a name to. And now we have these ideas about how, how the world works. The problem is frequently we get so wrapped up in this idea that we can be right about things and we can have quote unquote right answers that it trips us up and it makes us susceptible to error. And I think it also makes us us susceptible to, to dehumanizing other people, right? So with the labels, I do think that having words for a thing is important when it comes to having an understanding of it, especially when it's when you're trying to like function in the world. So I have two kids. Um, Both of my kids were, you know, quote, diagnosed with sensory processing disorder when they were super small, right? Like, I think my older son was probably in first grade and my younger son was in pre-K. So my younger son was four when he was diagnosed with sensory processing disorder. My, My older son was six. And like, basically what SPD is, it's just the kid the brain is struggling to integrate sensory information. So I'll give you an example, like for a while, like my older son had had issues with something called interoception where like he couldn't tell he needed to go to the bathroom until he was already going, right? And it's a brain thing. This is again, brain health. There's like parts of the brain that just, he needed to strengthen. Because I will say the beauty of the brain is this thing called neuroplasticity. Like you can, rewire your brain so that it reacts differently to different things, right? So like, we'll get into that eventually. But I'm saying all of this to say, they both got these diagnoses. And then recently, my 10 year old was diagnosed with generalized anxiety disorder. I also have generalized anxiety disorder. My father has generalized anxiety disorder. So we're not like, oh, oh my God. Like, it's just like, now we have this term for why you feel anxious all the time. And having that term was a comfort to my son. I do think that obviously without the stigma, it's just like, oh yeah, I have a skin disorder, right? Like nobody is, we're not stigmatizing asthma. Like, okay, my younger son had asthma, right? But we're not like, oh honey, 
poor you, you have asthma. That's terrible. Like we don't treat asthma the way we treat things like an anxiety disorder. So once we get rid of the stigma, it'll be as, as though it's anything else. However, I do think that it's on us, especially as like caretakers, parents, et cetera, to make sure that when our kids are going through things, number one, we validate them and what they're going through. And number two, we have to remove the stigma just in our own households. So when I'm talking to my kid about having generalized anxiety disorder, I'm not telling him there's anything wrong with him. When I'm talking to my kids about having sensory processing disorder, not telling them that there's anything wrong with how their brains work. It's just different. The idea of there being a right way and a wrong way for a brain to function is utter BS, frankly. Like brains just function the way that they do. There's no right or wrong way. We have these social norms that suggest that like, even the idea of like neurodivergent or neurotypical, like typical based on what, right? Like there are so many of these terms that we use that, you know, they try, the, the goal I think with a lot of this language is some form of standardization because standardization gives us fickle little human beings a sense of control over a, a world that is big and huge. And like, there are so many animals on this planet that could eat us. And I think that like knowing there's this, this deep inner knowing inside every human being that we are not the biggest, we're not the fastest, we're not the smartest, we're not the strongest. We think we're the smartest, but I don't necessarily know that that's true. And so knowing all of these things and knowing that we are frail, knowing that we are susceptible to a lot of terrible things, we need some kind of control. So we've created it for ourselves with utilizing language and utilizing this idea of norms and honestly utilizing narrative and story. So we can do that same, we can utilize those same things to just condition ourselves differently and making sure that young people know, first of all, they know they're not alone. I don't think it necessarily will impact their self-esteem negatively if they know, oh, okay, so my brain does this under the influence of that, or my brain works this way because I was exposed to this, 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 and this. Now, the bigger question is, how do I work with my brain and how my brain works as opposed to against it? That's awesome. Thank you for sharing that. And um, yeah, I actually, I saw a guy kind of being interviewed about his ADHD the other day. And he, yeah. as an adult, he was saying, actually, it's been such a benefit because it's helped me be yep. able to hyper-focus and have certain types of creativity. And maybe it didn't, maybe it was a little bit more challenging in like the way our school systems are set up and the way yep. our learning is set up. But in other ways, as an adult, I get to thrive in these areas because my brain functions this way. And to yeah. really reframe it in that it's not just like when we, we put these diagnoses, as you said, with the stigma around it, when we remove the stigma, we actually can see like the diversity, the neurodiversity, if we want to call it that way. And that yeah. there's actually like benefits that some people get to function certain ways and other people's function other ways. And that's okay because they can serve so many different purposes. And so to celebrate the things, like he said, it took him a long time to really be able to celebrate the things that he was actually able, more able to do rather than just looking at it as like, oh, well, I, I don't learn the way I am told is like mm -hmm. the quote unquote normal way to Norm. learn. Right. But being able to move through that and then as an adult, and I think 
as I don't know, I can't remember what his business was, but he was talking about like how he was able to use his creativity and, and ultimately was really um, successful in that because he started to celebrate his, his strengths because of, yeah. yeah. And so it's, yeah, it's, I mean, it's really important. And I think introducing a young adult audience to this is, is, is a benefit for them as like anyone who's dealing with it on a personal level so that they don't feel alone, but then also so that they, as, as they're developing and being exposed to content like this and narrative like this, that they too can help other people normalize or destigmatize um, kind of these topics. We want to take a quick break from this episode to tell you about today's sponsor, Milk and Honey. Milk and Honey is a female founded and funded brand that began as a luxury day spa in Austin, Texas, and has since grown to include eight locations across Texas and Los Angeles, California, as well as a line of bath, body, and skincare products born from the spa. One of Milk and Honey's best-selling products is the natural deodorant, which is loved by Zoe Kravitz and was featured in her Vogue's Beauty Secrets video. I've been using the baking soda free version exclusively for over two, three years. This gentle aluminum free baking soda free deodorant was designed to nourish sensitive skin while keeping you feeling and smelling fresh all day long. It never gave me any itchy red bumps when I switched over and passed the smell test, even after an intense workout. It truly is the best and comes in two scents, lavender tea tree and lemon vanilla. In addition to clean deodorant, their online boutique also offers clean beauty products from top brands, including Osea Malibu, Virtue, Moon Juice, Kula Sun Care, Supergoop, and more. Some favorite products of mine other than the deodorant include Milk and Honey's Gel Cleanser, Supergoop Glow Screen, and SPF 40, which I now buy on their site, and Osea's Body Oil and Vegas Nerve Oil, which activates the body's relaxation response and helps regulate stress. Their spas are also lovely, and we are both big fans of their spa treatments. And we now offer discounts at both the online boutique and spa locations on all spa and med spa treatments. We are also thrilled to partner with Milk and Honey to offer a Courageous Wellness Spa package called the Courageous Wellness Retreat at a discounted rate. The Courageous Wellness Retreat combines a 60-minute Milk and Honey Signature Massage, which is a Swedish massage tailored to your needs, focusing on relaxation and stress relief combined with body brushing, an exfoliating and detoxifying treatment that uses a natural bristle brush that you get to take home to stimulate your lymph and circulation while also reviving dull skin. Courageous Wellness listeners can enjoy 20% off your next order at milkandhoney.com and 20% off your first spa service at any Milk and Honey location with code CWPODCAST. Visit milkandhoneyspa.com to find a location near you. And if you want to try the Courageous Wellness Spa package offered at a special rate, use the code Courageous Wellness Retreat to redeem. This is not able to be combined with any other discount or promotion. You can also find all the information in our show notes. Yeah, I completely agree. Yeah. So anyway. Go ahead. Sorry. Erin. I was, I was going to say, I think what's really cool as well is, and I'm curious as, as we're talking about these, you know, different uh, diagnoses. And I love that 
your goal is to destigmatize mental health conversations, right? And I think in certain ways, especially with the rise of like Gen Z and TikTok right now, you hear so much about like ADHD or even anxiety and depression, like probably never before. And and I think to a certain extent, we all, I think, have some collective depression just existing in the United States at this time in history, right? But at the same, right. But at the same time, as much as there is like noise and conversation about it, I think when we get into more of the nuanced, like, right, like, like self-harm, serious depression Mm -hmm. that people are going through, um, you know, uh, really like the deep anxiety that causes people not to get out of bed. I still think that isn't as discussed maybe, or even in my own world, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm not a teenager, but you know, I'm, I'm learning and hearing for the first time about people in my environment who have late in life self-harm popping up, right. Especially mm-hmm. after the last three years. And so I guess it's like two part. Cause I'm like, how do we, as we're talking about it, is it just through these conversations? Like, because there is still right. Like, as I've had people open up about different mental health struggles that they are currently going through, it's hard to talk about, right? So I guess like the two part is like, how how do you suggest we continue to destigmatize brain health and these conversations when it is so personal, right, to talk about? And then I guess my second question is like, through these characters in chaos theory, how are you hoping people like get get that kind of confidence in whatever they're going through is 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 not something to be ashamed about. Yeah. I mean, look, honestly, with a lot of this stuff, it's just going to be kind of trial and error. I think, and and that's, that is not something we like to hear in this country. We want to know what's going to work so that we can do that particular thing. But like, there's no blueprint for any of this stuff. There's no, a lot of it is unprecedented. Like we are in unprecedented times. Nobody on earth had ever experienced a global pandemic when it swept across the globe in 2020. And so all of a sudden we're faced with all of these things that we have no control over. And I think that that's part of the reason so many of us were like, so you see things like anxiety and depression on the rise, but a lot of it has to do with our cultural norms, right? So shifting, so like, I'm like, we gotta experiment. We gotta shift our cultural norms. Talk about this stuff openly. I have had self-harm issues. I have an eating, excuse me, I have a disordered eating background. Like I have all kinds of stuff going on that I've had going on for a really long time, but it's in talking about it that I've discovered that I'm not alone in it. And like me deciding to like live without shame about it has made a difference in just talking to other people about it. So what I will say is that I do think it is important that we just continue to have these conversations and frankly, see where it goes, see how it, see how it goes. I was on a panel a few weeks ago with an author, another author named Amber McBride. Um, She writes amazing books. I think anybody who's listening to this should definitely go pick them up. She's got two out in the world. One is called, we are all so good at smiling. The other one is called me moth. And she has a book coming out in the fall, but anyway, we're on this panel. And she's also a person that has dealt with um, 
brain health stuff. I love that brain health term. I'm that is I've going in my pocket. I'm about to be using it all the time. But she has had some some issues with brain health. And something she said on this panel was that pretending things don't exist is the reason that people feel alone when they're going through them. And there's something so powerful about just that simple statement. If we stop acting like there's something wrong with a person because they are depressed. If we stop acting like there's something wrong with a person because they have some kind of anxiety issue. If we stop acting like there's something wrong with a person because they get the urge to hurt themselves when things feel out of control. If we stop treating those things like there's something wrong with them, they'll be a lot easier to deal with because people won't have that same shame. They'll know, we'll know that we're not alone. Like human beings, biologically, we are in a very, we're like a, an interconnected species. Like we literally need each other to survive. So we have to lean into that and lean into things like vulnerability. Um, I'm reading, what was I reading? I was reading something about how a lot of our anxieties with regard to other human beings and a lot of the fear of vulnerability that we have, first of all, a lot of it is conditioned. Like if you think about it, most kids, like a lot of kids are just cool with everybody, right? Not all, but like a lot are. Of course, there are kids who are shy. There are kids who don't want to interact with anybody but the people they know, obviously. But there's something that happens as we get older where we start to shut off to other people and we begin to fear other people. We fear what other people are going to think. We fear what they're going to say. We fear them harming us. I think a lot of this is conditioned by like just watching too many super serial killer movies. Like <laughs> there's a lot that we do that we take into ourselves that impacts the way we view other people. And at the same time, like some of that is rooted in survival instincts, right? Because if you just look at, I mean, it, you know, evolution is what it is. And if you look at our evolutionary history, like there was a time where you had to be on guard all the time if you wanted to survive, but we don't live in that time anymore. And trying to shake ourselves out of that and just be willing to like connect to each other, just leaning into the fact that like, hey, we all have something in common. There's literally no person on this earth that I don't have something in common with. Trying to lean more into the positive things and into the, the existence of commonality than we do into the like kind of self-protect and like shutting off and like ego and like, let me make sure I remain separate from everybody else. Shifting all of that. It's just it, like, there's like a cultural shift. And I feel like it's already happening and I'm thrilled to be alive when it's happening. And I just, I just hope it continues. I hope we can, we keep up this talking about this stuff openly and being vulnerable about it. Like the fact that I know the celebrities who are living with bipolar depression, I think is huge. Like that was absolutely. not a thing 20 yeah. years ago, right? Like that wasn't yeah. a thing. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I think you're definitely a part of the change that's happening for sure. Like I, I think connecting to, we know that art, you know, movies, music, books, they, they really make you feel less alone. And through experiencing life through these characters absolutely helps others. And, and through you, like you're talking about, these struggles that you've had and you're a New York times bestselling author, like that's inspiring as hell. And so just thank you for that. And I think, 
Yeah. It's funny when you talk about the kids, it's like you hear all the time about kids like walking into school and telling all their parents like personal secrets to the teachers. They have no shame. And, and it's just, it was interesting when you said that I was like, yeah, like we got to get back to that where it's like, there's no ego involved in that, that space. And yeah. you know, it's, I, it reminds me of a little sort of scene in the book where um, it, your two, so the two main characters are Shelby and Andy, Walter, Andy, <laughs> and um, for those that haven't read it yet, and uh, they're, yeah, without giving like too many details away, they're, they're having a conversation um, kind of early on after, after meeting where there, there's this like really you can feel it through the way you write it this sort of like push and pull with their own internal how vulnerable am I gonna be and I think mm-hmm. and then they'll you know one character says something that's like oh should I have just not said that you know and and what I thought was so sort of sweet about that is that everybody remembers being a teenager and talking doing that dance inside of your own mind maybe with like the person that you like or it's sort of that dance of like how vulnerable am I going to be how much am I going to reveal if I reveal too much in this very moment will I be rejected and that is such a I feel like that interaction just that it, it was it was sweet but I it took me back immediately to like the guy that I liked in high school but we were cool we were friends but then it was like oh, but I don't want to tell him I like him, you know, that kind of thing. And that first, and I was like, oh, well, that was 20 years ago, (laughs) but it took me back immediately. And I think any human being can understand that dance with vulnerability, especially as an adolescent, especially in that time where we're trying to figure out who we are in the world or who we want to be in the world um, and feeling that level of like self-protection, but also that craving of connection. And yeah, yeah, so I just think like storytelling, as Erica said, these characters too, it's a way I think that we, and this is part of wellness. And we talk a lot about sort of art and creativity as a part of wellness, because it's how we as human beings connect to each other, but connect to ourselves too. And remember these different parts of ourselves so that we can kind of go along with these characters um through their story and yeah yeah so it's just it's just kind of fun but when you're talking about vulnerability I was like oh that was like I felt it in that moment between them um I was doing that dance last week (laughs) last week when I tell you I'm I'm 30 heaven now I'm going to be 30 great same same okay I just joined the 30 heaven club last week there you go (laughs) let look rock it out it's a great year of life um and but I mean every day I'm meeting you know I meet new people all the time and I think that even as we get older as we become adults staying open to the development of new relationships is important right because it's like in every season of life if you are a person being a person, you evolve literally every moment of every, well, hopefully you evolve. I know some people have like, are you devolving? Like, are we going back? You're, you're going backwards, friend. We're going to have to get the train on the right track to go forward. But the only constant in life is change, right? So like, 
as I stay open to like developing new relationships and like making new friends, et cetera, this is never not a thing. Like when I'm decide when I'm doing a keynote, there's always that question of, of how much am I going to share? What am I going to say? You never know who's in the room. Like there's so many different spaces that we find ourselves in where we're having to gauge how vulnerable or how open or how authentic we're gonna be. And for me, the answer is always gonna be as vulnerable, open and authentic as possible because you just never, you never know who needs to hear what you're saying, right? And so I think the more that we can kind of get over ourselves and, you know, for me, a lot of this journey to wellness, to like, just kind of a sense of overall well-being. It's been an internal journey where I've had to go in and I've had to learn how to be my own best friend. And I've had to learn how to be my own best partner. I've had to learn how to value myself and not necessarily need to lean on external validation for me to like do my job well and do what I'm supposed to do. Because at the end of the day, the one relationship that is literally going to be with you the rest of your life is the one you have with yourself. Yeah. And so I think that, I think that as we continue these conversations around mental health and around brain health, around, you know, how we are functioning in the world, the self care piece is such a hugely intrinsic part of the discussion to me. So making sure we're, we're taking care of ourselves and, and valuing ourselves, the, the holding space for yourself to feel a full range of emotion. That's how we learn how to hold that space for other people as well. So like, it's such like a, an interconnected collaborative process and I want everybody to be well. And I also want everybody to recognize that like, yo, you're, you're legit, right? Yes. Like you're, you're the only, you're literally the only you there yeah. is. And the fact that we are on this ball <laughs> of condensed matter. So we're, so like we're these beings that are literally, we're literally made of meat and electricity. Like that's yep. what being a human being is. It's meat and it's electricity and like some bones, right? <laughs> and we're, we're on this thing that is just like condensed matter. Some of it is liquid, some of it is gas, some of it is solid. And it's just floating out in space, circling a giant ball of fire. That ball of fire is swirling around in an even bigger galaxy full of balls of fire. Like when I think about the scope of, of the known universe and how like ridiculously itsy bitsy teeny weeny we are we're like smaller than quarks like I'm so I'm a huge math and science nerd side note I love and it. physics I love physics I love astrophysics which is why Shelby's into astrophysics mm -hmm. so it's like astrophysics and particle physics like those two types of physics are my favorite because they deal with like the massive and the really 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 small and we exist somewhere in the middle there yeah. and just recognizing that like Frankly, when you take everything into consideration, when you take the scale and scope of things into consideration, it's actually just like a huge gift to be able to experience life yeah. and to be conscious and to have, I, I think about the fact that I'm able to use all five of my senses. That is so huge. It's like such a gift. The fact that I'm able to like 
form words. The fact that I can, I can smell, I have, um, I just got my, my backyard remodeled and I got a magnolia tree planted back there. It's like a baby magnolia tree because my great grandmother was obsessed with magnolias. And so like, I've always been moved by the side of magnolia trees and it has a bud on it. It's got like a magnolia bud on it. And I like cried. Like I was like so excited about the fact that this tree that got planted in my backyard has a flower on it. Like there, there's so many things in the world to just be in awe of. And I think the more that we slow down mm-hmm. and take the time to just appreciate the fact that we're here, the be- the more insignificant all of this other foolishness seems, the easier it is to be vulnerable with each other, the easier it is to connect. And, you know, there's so much life and duty to enjoy with this time that we have. Yeah. I Thank went like, man, woo woo. No, we that. love it. This is the, <laughs> no, this is the right audience for it. So it's great. Um, and you actually lead us into our three wrap up questions quite beautifully uh, because the first one is on a daily basis, how do you take care of yourself and do you have any self-care non-negotiables? Absolutely. Uh, Manicures and pedicures, this isn't daily, but like manicures and pedicures, manicures, pedicures, facials, massages, like all of that stuff are non-negotiables. Uh, those are typically monthly indulgences. So I get a facial and uh, a hot stone massage and um, I do what's called a V steam once a month. That's for like your, your health, your vaginal health, your, your uh, reproductive health, like skin health, all that. So that's, that's big for me. And then on a daily basis, like meditation is a must um, 10 minutes is a minimum, but really all it takes. And then I think also exercise is huge. Um, Eating as well as I can is huge. And also just like not letting anybody rush me. I think that's really the biggest thing for me is finding a space. So I have this image that I keep in my head of an indentation in the earth right? So like right now I'm sitting in a chair, but what I imagine is that the chair is on the floor in my, in my like piano room in my house, that the piano room is above a basement. So there's like air beneath me, but then under that is the foundation of my house. And I think about there being this, this indentation, this space that belongs to me. It's my, like, it is my, where I am grounded on the earth. And everywhere I go, it goes with me, which means that everywhere I go is precisely where I'm supposed to be. And like, that's an idea that really helps me stay in my body and stay grounded. And nobody can tell me I'm in the wrong place. No, like, so it helps me stay present. So even just the imagery of like, I am in my indentation is probably tantamount to my, not only so self-care, but self-concept. Um, so yeah, if I could encourage re- listeners to do anything is settle into your indentation and recognize that it goes everywhere that you do. 
It's beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. And before I ask the second question, I do want to ask, um, Ali knows what I'm going to ask. Um, it's not an official wrap up question, but you mentioned that your birthday was in July. Are you a cancer or a Leo? I'm so cancer AF. Okay. I was like mama energy. Yeah. Libra rising Aries moon. Like I give you my whole chart girl. We, oh, we great. We got for the, sh- for the astrology now. Yes, we do. Allie is a triple Aries. So you have the moon in common. She is a triple Aries. I'm a Libra sun. So I got your rising to my son. So beautiful. <laughs> You're beautiful. a lover. I love it. I love it. We did. I love all of this. Like there's so much like, I know I love why it not too. Take it? Why I know. Not? It's so fun. Yeah. Um, the second official question we ask is what does being courageous mean to you? I, I think of the word courageous. And the first thing that comes to mind is vulnerability. I think that like courage is existing as fully as possible at all times. And sometimes that looks like falling back. Sometimes it looks like stepping up. But it takes courage to be one's full and authentic self at all times. And that for me is the essence of vulnerability. Thank you. And so the final question, in addition to your own book, Chaos Theory, you already actually recommended another author, but is there any um, book that has just like meant something to you recently or a long time ago. It doesn't matter. Just something you'd like to refer to our audience that's kind of on your mind. Yeah. So there's a book called Nothing Burns as Bright as You. Okay. Uh, the author's name is Ashley Woodfolk. Uh, she's a really good friend of mine, but it is just a, oh God, like I, I literally have a quote from it in the, the listener can't see this, but like I have a quote from the book wow. tattooed on my shoulder in the author's handwriting. Like that's how wow. deeply impactful that book was for me. And the quote says, uh, she needs very little, but what she needs, she cannot go without. Mm. Oh, I die. But like, so that book is just, it's one of those books that reminds you that you're a person, right? Like a person with like emotions. It's about uh, these two girls who are best friends, but find themselves in kind of this kind of funky situationship-esque romantic sexual thing. And that they decide one day to start a fire in a dumpster at their school. And so it goes back and forth between the consequences of starting the fire and like their their entire story and it is just beautiful and it's a quick read it's written in verse so you'll fly through it but it is fantastic nothing burns as bright as you thank you so much and thank you for being here today and sharing all of your wisdom and um this this book these characters with us if anyone wants to find you follow you buy your book where can they do that uh, you can buy the book just about anywhere, uh, that books are sold. And if you want to find me, I am at Nick Stone on Instagram. I don't mess with the bluebird. Uh, and I like, there's a fan, there's like a quote unquote fan page on Facebook, but anything that goes there is coming from Instagram. So if you want to find me online, I'm trying to get into TikTok, but I just, I just feel I feel it, it like TikTok makes me feel kind of geriatric, like I'm, totally. I'm working on it 100%. and trying to 
So I'm trying to find like my vibe on TikTok. And eventually, I mean, I'm I'm at um on TikTok, I'm at Ask Nick Stone. Okay. There's just nothing posted there yet. So Well, Erica and we'll I can there. deeply relate. It's the uh I think it's the millennials. <laughs> Millennials relationship Facts. with TikTok. Okay. So yes. we, we try, but um, anyway, thank you again for joining us today. It was a pleasure having you. Thank you for having me. It has been a pleasure speaking with both of you. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Courageous Wellness. Tune in every Wednesday for a new episode featuring a different guest each week. Subscribe, rate, and write us a nice review. And you can also follow us on Instagram at Courageous Wellness or get in touch via our website, www.courageouswellness.net, where you can also find additional info about our health coaching services, virtual group events, newsletter, and more. Until next week, I'm Allie. And I'm Erica, and we're Courageous Wellness.